Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffy. My golly gosh. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness. And Glenn Quarterman. Wow-wee. A proud Victorian parked permanently in the West who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff, Duff and Quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy, footy podcast. It's unbelievable! Yes, it is unbelievable. Hello, everybody. It is time for the second edition this week of the Duff and Quarters podcast. We are brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch can better their bet. Download Tab Touch today. Please gamble responsibly. And please, if you run into any difficulties, call the Gambler's Helpline on 1-800-858-858. Quarters. Duff. Did you get your very small hands on the All-Australian team? I did. And my very small hands can pick a few holes through the All-Australian team. Well, let's talk about the good things about last night first. Yeah. Andrew Brayshaw, the AFL Players Association's MVP. Absolutely deserved winner of that award. It's a peers award, so he can be very proud of that. Whatever he achieves in his career, and there'll be many significant things, uh, that will be right up the top. Uh, Obviously, the Brownlow has more prestige, but I reckon if you're a player, it, it means a lot. It may mean even more because, um, you know, as you with your peers voting on you. Some pretty good names up the top there. So well done to Andrew Brayshaw. Uh, not Andrew Bradshaw, as Mark McGowan tweeted, and then, whoops, <laughs> changed the uh, tweet very quickly. Uh, no, we love you, Mark. Uh, but, um, yeah, great effort. Um, and great to see him able to be there in person. Yeah. But it should be in grand final week, and the buy should be then. So okay. have a rant. All right. Well, go on. No, say why. Well, no, I feel really flat this week in terms of... There was a great night last night, but I feel flat. I feel like we had the magnificent round 23, and then we've got nothing. I just think we need to have some momentum going forward, and once again, everything makes sense to have a buy before the grand final. You can have your Brownlow medalist um, candidates from your non-Victorian teams if it's in Melbourne. You can have them attending. You can have your Rising Stars doing the same. Uh, you can ha- give the players the best possible chance to recover from concussion protocols, from injury, because the two teams playing in the grand final, if ever you needed a two-week period to get the players up, it's that game. They've earned that right. There's so many things you could do around it. Have a two-week build-up. Have all the awards in the first week, and the second week's purely about football. Start the AFLW season a little later. So it's starting this weekend, and we'll get onto that in a little while. But start it a little later, only three weeks. I don't think it would hurt it too much if you had it going late November, early December. And you could have it the week before the bye, the week before the grand final, and then you spread it around the grand final itself in week two. I just fear that it's gonna it's gonna be um, swamped in the over the next month the AFLW after this bye weekend, and just every other everything other you could do around the grand final. Makes perfect sense. Yet this week we're flat. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I know why they have the pre-finals by, and that's fine. I, okay, well, tell me, so is that still relevant though? It's look, it's only relevant if they refuse to fixture 
teams like West Coast and Fremantle at home in round 23. The big problem for them was that West Coast, well, not West Coast, it was, it was actually Fremantle. The Ross Lyon coached Fremantle teams in 2013 and 2014. They basically said, well, if we're on the road and we look like being on the road in the first week of finals, we're not going to play our best team in round 23 because if we have to go back to back on the road, we're probably not winning the final. Then the final's important. Yeah. So therefore, we're prioritising the final. We're playing our seconds this week. Now, they didn't like it, but in typical AFL fashion, they thought, oh, well, let's find a solution. They grudgingly acknowledged that where Perth is on the map mm-hmm. in relation to the rest of Australia. That to be told, that to spin around with a blindfold on a couple of times. I, I believe Trevor Nisbet has a couple of times after the fixtures have been released, sent a map to the fixturing people and pointed out. <laughs> I bet you he has. We are here. You are over there. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you he has. But, you know, I reckon teams are getting better. I, I can counter that. I reckon teams are getting better at managing um, towards the end of the season. Geelong's done a beautiful job of it. Um, right now, they could play one game in four weeks if they win their first week of finals. That's not good. So that's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. It has to be the week before the grand final. I don't know about starting the AFLW later. Um, Why? Well, I think this season is too compressed anyway. So I think we need to find a way to um, work through that. Now, maybe, I don't know, maybe this season can be split into two. Maybe you can have um, a season that starts October, November, and they play eight or nine games in that period, and then they take the heat of summer off, yeah. and they play in March and April. So I'd hate that idea because it just loses momentum. Yeah, but just, how much how much momentum does it have over the next four weeks? Oh yeah, really? yeah. I don't know. I mean, either way, I don't think it has that much bearing on having the the buy before the grand final. But yeah, I reckon three weeks doesn't is neither here nor there. I, I like the idea of having it in a block. Yeah. I don't like splitting it, but um makes too much sense stuff, so it'll never happen. Yeah. Okay. But last year was great. The buy was enforced by COVID here last year. That's the grand final buy. But it was great. It's a fantastic build up. So you've seen my all Australian team. Mm-hmm. If you were picking the all Australian team, how many would you have different to the way they went? Um I would have now, okay, so Andrew Brayshaw is the players MVP. And fifth in the coaches MVP. And fifth in the coaches MVP. Yet he's not on the. So why uh, not is in he the not, starting eight? Why is he not in the? So starting I'd have him. I'll tell you right now. I'd have him in there before both Callum Mills and Tuke Miller. Both outstanding players. Both had outstanding seasons. He's in ahead of them every day of the week. I would have um, Nick Dacos just for starters. Probably Hayden Young. Not even and in probably the a couple more. Probably even. Um, uh, look, there'd be three or four players ahead of Adam Sard on a halfback flank. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I think this is this is an interesting one because um, I think the twenty two under twenty two, I would have three of their small defenders ahead of Adam Sard, and none of those small defenders, and the small defenders I'm talking about are Hayden Young, Nick Dacos, and Jordan Clark. Yep. I I would regard all of those as better players right now than Adam Sard right now. Yep, and. None of those were in the squad. Now, the most glaring of those is Nick Dacos. Nick Dacos would have been in my All-Australian team yeah. if he'd have been in the squad because I picked my team out yeah. of the squad. Mm. But if he'd have been in the squad, he would have been in my team. So. It's a tough exercise, but I'm, I'm saying I've got – I think Collingwood's finished fourth. Braden Mater has had a great year. Sam Taylor, congratulations, Sam, by the way. Uh, Swan District's boy, great, great to see you at centre-half back in the All-Australian side. But I've got Barras and Sicily ahead of Sam Taylor. 
that's that's nothing against Sam Taylor's season. They've just had better seasons, in my opinion. So, but that's that I can live with. But I can't live with um, the the glaring one for me is Brayshaw not in the starting eighteen. Yeah. So I had Angus Brayshaw in my team at halfback. Yep. I had Tom Barassi in ahead of Stephen May. Yeah. So I had both Tom Barass and Sam Taylor in my team. My argument is that. Yes, Stephen May is important to the Melbourne defence, and yes, the Melbourne defence is very effective, but the Melbourne defence is playing team defence, and the West Coast defence is playing Tom Barras defence, basically. <laughs> yeah. so, and um, he's seen a fair bit of the footy, Tom Barras. He's so. had a lot of opportunities to play well, and he has played well. To me, he had earned his place in the team, and um, I was a bit disappointed to see him not there. I rated Isaac Heaney's year. Oh, it was, yeah, um, so did I, yeah. And I had Connor Rosie close, but not in my team. Yeah, I could live with that. Had Jack Crisp yeah. in my team. I think Jack Crisp has been Collingwood's best player over the course of the year. And so for him not to be in that team, I think, is um, interesting. Patrick Cripps, yes. Charlie Kernow, yes. Adam Sard, no. Three Carlton players in the All-Australian team, no finals. Yeah. Well, they were a bit unlucky, but still. Um, and the other one, and, and you know what a big Tomahawk fan I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a massive Tomahawk fan, but he's not in my All-Australian team. To me, Cameron has been better. Uh, Charlie Kernow has been better. And if you want the form, power forward, in the back two-thirds of the season, it's Tom Lynch. It's not Tom Hawkins. Mm. So, therefore, Tom Tom Lynch would have been the third tall forward in my team. Um, always pick Mark Blitzavs. Yeah. Pick, because then you only have to pick one Ruckman because Mark Blitzavs can play yeah. anywhere. And, um, <clears throat> uh, and the rest of it's pretty much similar. But, yeah, look, it's a tough exercise. It is. Uh, and we're always going to argue over who got in and who missed out. But... Um, Biggest uh, non-surprise, obviously, was Nick Dacos winning the Rising Star. Yeah, I'll do. Ahead of uh, <laughs> Sam DeConing and John Newcomb, my boy. Who wasn't in the 22 under 22 team. Which is really surprising. That's an oversight. And was the coach's choice as the best first-year player. Yep. So I think, come on, under 22. 22 under 20. Maybe I should send them a map and show them this is Hawthorne. <laughs> this is where it's located. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. <laughs> um, all right. So what else jumped out off the page at you at the awards night? Oh, um, well, uh, good to see uh, Liam Baker winning the Robert Rose Most Courageous Award. Yeah, he's a tough little bugger, isn't he? He is. He is. Yep. Um, good pingaring boy. Yes. Uh, Braden Maynard, Jack Viney, Paddy McCartan, Sam Doherty, not arguing with that top five. Uh, Sam Doherty's another one for the All-Australian. I mean, he can count himself a bit unlucky. Yeah, I, but you've made the point about Carlton. Yeah, but I'm having him ahead of Sard. Yeah. I, I think the two Carlton blokes that picked themselves... Are I, in there. I think uh, Paddy Cripps yep. and Charlie Curnow. And Sard, I think we're going to argue about. And, yeah, I personally, I would have Nick Dacos ahead of... Sam Doherty as well. Yeah, I'm not arguing with that. Uh, didn't have anyone playing on him until round 22, but nevertheless, <laughs> you can only do what's out there in front of you, Duff. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, you know, Andrew Brayshaw, he's been described many ways. I heard uh, you describing him earlier. Do you want to share that with us? As The, the best meat and potatoes yeah. you've ever had in your life. So a colleague of mine, Benny Cameron from the ABC, great commentator, great intellect when analysing the game, Benny for a young bloke, um, and he said to me, he said, when Fremantle first drafted um, Brayshaw, I looked at him and I thought, what's outstanding about him that makes him a number two draft pick? He's just a 
a meat and potatoes player. And he said, five years on, he is a meat and potatoes player, but he's the best meat and potatoes you've ever had in your life. And he's right. He's an all-rounder. You know, it, there's nothing that he does that jumps off the page. He doesn't break lines like Matera or explode out of traffic like Jard or anything like that. But he's the best two-way running midfielder I've ever seen. Mm, that's a big rap. I've ever seen. Yeah. And his tackle numbers tell you that. And yeah. he kicks goals. And he kicks goals as well. So he, he, there are only five players in the comp that have had more of the ball than Andy Brayshaw this year. Um, only one of them, Lockie Neal, has kicked as many goals, and he's the Brownlow medal favourite. Mm. And only um, Rory Laird, who may have been one we should have looked at a bit harder for All-Australian honours, um, he's yeah. the only one to have laid more tackles. Sam Walsh, who Carlton people will argue is the hardest-running mid in the comp, he lays half as many tackles... As Andy Brayshaw, that tells you the the intent with which Brayshaw runs to defend. Yes, he does. And I reckon there's at least two games this year where chase down Brayshaw tackles have had an important impact to the outcome of the game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna um, raise you one on your steak and potatoes. I'm gonna say it's an eye fillet. I'm, I'm gonna say it's medium to well done, and I'm gonna chuck some truffles on top. Oh, I a like that. A little bit of pepper sauce. Um, I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah, that, that makes more sense, doesn't it? It's a very, very, very fine Bit plate. of broccolini, bit of steamed broccolini on the side, a couple of carrots. That's a pretty good meal. And what brand of butter are you putting on the potatoes? Um, oh, just... Has to be Lurpak, doesn't it? I don't mind Lurpak. I've been into that lately. Maybe we get them on as a sponsor seeing so we've given them a big plug, but maybe just Western Star, mate. I'm just a, <laughs> you know, I'm just a battler. I can't afford Lurpak, mate. Not like you rural types. I I realised after buying it for several weeks I couldn't afford it. I finally looked at the price of it. <laughs> it's not bad, actually. But, look, congratulations to everyone. I mean, we could argue till the cows come home, speaking of rural. But, um, you know, they're, they're the All-Australians. They're locks. So congratulations to them all. They'll carry that throughout their careers. They've got the blazer. And um, well done to them. Yep, absolutely. Um, Braden Maynard is a good story, I reckon. Maynard's a very underrated player. You know how we talk about that last play on um, Sunday yep. when Jamie Elliott finishes kicking the goal? So the two things about the play that are easiest forgotten are the Nick Dacos handball under serious heat that hits Maynard deep in defence and the Maynard dart to Pendlebury in the middle. It's a brave kick and it's an elite kick. And we talk about Maynard and his toughness and there was a there was a magnificent spoil late in that game on Charlie Kernow. But one thing that's underrated about Braden Maynard is his skill. I reckon there's very... If you looked at that last quarter, there's no wastage from Collingwood. Yeah. They make the most of their opportunities, which is poles apart from what we saw from Carlton. Hopefully Carlton can rectify that. Uh, it's going to be a long summer for them, it's I reckon. It's going to be a painful after. summer for them. Very, as it should be, Duff. As it should be when you're 8-2. and two. Um, But, look, Collingwood's alive and kicking and... Um, See how we go in the next four weeks. Um, Zorko, what did you make of his comments last night? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, look, I don't doubt there's veracity in what Dane says, but I think what all he's done is resuscitated an issue that Brisbane probably would have preferred stayed unconscious. You know, it'd been dealt with. Um, he'd made the apology, um, and now he's pointing out, well, yeah, I still am sincere about the apology. I accept that I crossed the line, but I was provoked. Um, and I don't doubt he was. I'm, I had no doubt watching the game that some clubs circle a player on the whiteboard 
or players and basically go, these guys get extra attention. Um, Terry Wallace used to call it in the gun. This player is in the gun today. Um, I don't doubt that Dane Zorko was one of those players last week. They, they went at him very hard and they went at him all game long. And the, the reason they would go at a Dane Zorko is because if you look at the way Melbourne defends, Melbourne will defend you all day long if you play linear and they find it harder to defend you if you're brave enough and good enough to change the angles. Who's most likely to change the angles at Brisbane? Daniel Rich and Dane Zorko. Mm. They're the two players whose hands they want the ball in and clearly they were going to put a stop to one of them. So I've got no doubt he was targeted. Um, there may have been untoward things said, but Dane, you crossed the line. Um, you said something completely unacceptable. We know what it was now. Um, you should have left this alone, I think. Um, and if there's a Melbourne player out there that said something equally callous that's sitting on a secret, well, secrets have a habit of coming out. Before we get on to a heap of mail we've got this week, um, just on our local teams, let's just start with West Coast. Had their uh, three days of exit interviews uh, or season-ending interviews. Um, and there'll John be Worsfold medal tomorrow night. John Worsfold medal tomorrow night. Uh, Barras Hearn... Top three, Barras, Hearn, Redden. Redden. Barras, Hearn, Redden. So I reckon Tom Barras has been their standout player. If they count the votes and they find out that Tom Barras hasn't won, they should do it again. Because he is the most deserving winner of that medal. Uh, Shannon Hearn, I think, has had a very good year and should finish second. And I think Jack Redden, by dint of consistency over the year, he's never been outstanding, but when everything was going to absolute crap. He was there. Year. He was turning up and playing steadily yep. and was still playing steadily at the end. It's a sign of a good player. And I'll year. throw in Tim Kelly as a fourth or fifth, Yep, I reckon. I think Tim Kelly's been solid enough to finish there. So they've got two weeks of the waffle season to go. So there's some senior listed players obviously participating in that. Some who will be playing for their careers. Jackson yep. Nelson might be one of those. There's a few others. So interesting times for West Coast. Um uh, no Mad Monday as yet. They've, they've probably seen those days, haven't we? I think they've had a mad season. They've had they? a mad season, yeah. Don't need any more. I don't know. Whether, a mad cow season. What, what are they going to be celebrating? <laughs> well, you've got to have a They wine. probably should have done what you suggested and gone to Clatworthy's last weekend. Well, they probably did. They might have. <laughs> um, and uh, your boys, Frio. Um, probably, even though I am arguing for the two weeks, this is coming at a good time for Frio. Yeah, well, they get... Um, Rory Lobb gets time. Griffin Lowe gets time. Matt Taberner gets time, but I don't think it'll help Matt Sounds Taberner. like uh, Justin Longmuir has signalled he won't be playing. Yeah. Um, and I think three is a bit risky. Three of your forwards who are a bit you know, bit dodgy injury-wise. Well, don't forget that Nathan Fife's in there somewhere yeah. who's played eight games of footy for the, week, for the year. And not a bad call keeping him out of the waffle. Well, the bottom line is, is that Nathan Fife is going to be picked in their team next weekend and they have to work out how to get him in the best there in the best possible shape now if he if Nathan Fife plays this weekend and gets hurt then they're probably in a position where they have to play Matt Tabernar and it sounds like they're not confident that Matt Tabernar will get through the game so I think it's the right call uh we should mention round one of the AFLW season actually launches tonight so Carlton Collingwood tonight. Um, there's a couple of traditional rivalries in there, actually. Hawthorne, Essendon. So Hawthorne, Essendon, Port Sydney, the four teams that make it 18 and complete, which is great to see. Uh, everyone's got a bit of investment in it now. I know I'm getting a bit more excited about it, Duff, given that the, there's the Hawk Ets are out there now. Um, 
But uh, West Coast playing Port Adelaide on Saturday at Mineral Resources Park and Frio playing Brisbane on Sunday. It's an away game. Brisbane, a bit of a, bit, a few changes to that. Sorry, Frio, a few changes to that side. Um, Gemma Broughton's gone to Gemma Horton. Sorry, has gone to Port Adelaide. Um, so they'll need to find some goals. So they they've got a challenging early season, I think. Fremantle. Um, they've been a, a contender over the last two or three years. Um, Houghton has gone, as you mentioned. Steph Kane has gone to Essendon. She is a co-captain at Essendon, so clearly highly regarded there. And on top of that, the Antonios, Cara and Ebony, are both injured. Second half of the season, they're suggesting. Well, yeah. If at all. Cara less likely than Ebony. Ebony looks like an eight-week PCL, um, and that was a couple of weeks ago. So Ebony's going to miss half the season, and Cara in grave danger of missing all the season after a, a serious hamstring issue. So um, a, a challenging season for, for Fremantle. And West Coast just has to find improvement, don't Well, they? they've turned their list over. Yeah. Gone with a lot of West Australian. Emma Swanson captaining. Ella Roberts, uh, who so, slipped through a little bit. They, some saying she should have been top three. I think they got her at 14. So. Well, because of the vagaries of the AFLW draft, where you basically pick players from your own state, um, Ella Roberts... People, she was top three in that talent pool. So they've had a win there, West Coast, absolutely. Um, but, you know, they were probably due one. It's very hard to build a list in the AFLW, and West Coast has found that. Well, I'm suggesting that probably less so Port. Port have done very, very well. Um, but Essendon, Hawthorne, Sydney will find out how hard it is in the first couple of years in the AFLW season. You'd like to think West Coast could manufacture some wins against those opponents. Yes, you would. So they'll yeah. be they'll be finishing the year a little higher up the ladder. You'd like to think they're not winning another spoon in this one. Oh, oh they've had a shocker if they do. <laughs> uh, but now it's time for this. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Thank you to Thirsty Camel. Thank you to Green Coast Lager from Stone and Wood Brewery. As we mentioned on Tuesday, Duff, we had some absolute poon tangers earlier in the week. Um, and um, so. What does that even mean? It's crackerjack emails earlier in the week. So um, we've got some good ones. We've got plenty to get through. A um, bit of humour in there, too. This one from Marie O'Reilly. Uh, there's a big unofficial on the top of this, so she must be from a government department. Anyway, uh, hi Duff and Quarters. Firstly, read the rule which states the Eagles have to take a draft pick, uh, a draft pick first round this draft. An article by Ryan Buckland from the West Australian. He writes the Economist section in the game. Eagles can seek an exemption from the rule as Geelong successfully did a few years back on account of using the pick to trade in a young player with strong credentials. You can use your imagination from there. I have read elsewhere that this is the case. If so, do you think this is something the Eagles could consider if a player emerged, i.e. Luke Jackson? Also, uh, do you think the ridiculous plastic tunnel the Eagles emerged from each home game should be put back in the cupboard next season and beyond? I certainly do. Funny story, read the blow-up tunnel. A new neighbour moved in next to me a few years back. As we greeted each other, she offered that she worked at the Eagles. I, being a passionate Eagles supporter, enthusiastically got chatting all things West Coast. I asked her what she thought of the ridiculous and amateur hour concept of the players running out of a plastic eagle mouth, to which she replied, Oh, really? That was my idea. <laughs> she is no longer my neighbour. But yes. <laughs> oh, no, that'll do for that one. But look... Um, 
Uh, I'm not a big fan of the the, uh, the Eagles Tunnel. Actually, bring back the banners. We like banners. I don't what know about what the it... song. I like the Eagles song. The new one. I don't mind it. With the didgeridoos. I don't mind it. I like the didgeridoos, and then it shrinks on me after that. And the first time I heard it, I thought, yeah, that's great, because the didgeridoos struck me as, that's fantastic. And then it sounds like a pop ditty after that. It's not a, it's not a club anthem. Don't you reckon? No, I like it. You I like, like everything about it. Um, look, I, I reckon a club song has to have a bit of oomph about it. And even the Fremantle song, the jazzed up version of the Fremantle song, I kind of go, well, the old one sounded depressing and was a bit of a dirge um, as opposed to a, a an anthem. But it had a bit of drum beat about it, you know, a bit of rhythm and, and oomph about it. And I'm not sure that I don't prefer the old Fremantle song to the new Fremantle song. The Luke Jackson theory? Well, the theory and the cackle is that Luke Jackson's already agreed to terms with Fremantle, so therefore it's a matter of just doing the trade. So there may be some shenanigans there. I mean, West Coast may throw the kitchen sink late to try and overturn that, but if there's something like a heads of agreement in place, Mm. that's pretty hard to overturn. And is there any great incentive for Melbourne to want uh, West Coast to get involved? Because West Coast will be attempting to use the pre-season draft as the leverage to limit the trade value of Luke Jackson. So therefore, it would be dangerous for Melbourne to invite West Coast into the the scenario as well. At least they can probably make Fremantle pay for Luke Jackson. Now we need a little bit of lead-in music to this next one. Bit of Barry? Oh, a bit of Barry. I don't know about that. Well, well duff. Well, lads, greetings from crocodile-infested Darwin. Love both your insights each week, especially you, Duff. Your voice soothes my ears like sorbeline lotion applied to my sunburnt Irish white skin up here in the top end. Goodness gracious me. You've got a fan, Duff. Uh, quick one for you, lads. I'm a Geelong supporter and I'm getting right peeved with us not being able to play home finals against the teams that draw big crowds. Yes, I understand the AFL is about the honey money, but it's simply not fair. Why reward WA New South Wales, SA and Queensland teams with home ground games, but not us when it really matters and and is deserved, e.g. this year finishing top? Playing Collingwood, for example, at the MCG is a massive disadvantage, and I can see this happening again. Well, I think that they're going to address that, aren't they, with the uh, redevelopment at Cadinia Park? So this is going to be interesting. You know what I would say to Geelong, though? If you want that home ground advantage... In Geelong, you can't be selling home games to the MCG. Mm. So you want to play your home finals at Cadinia Park, you've got to play 11 home games at Cadinia Park. And everyone who plays Geelong in an away game goes to Cadinia Park. Um, and if they do that and they're prepared to do that, then I'm happy enough for anyone who plays Geelong in a final to go there in a the final. But you're kind of playing both sides of it, aren't you, if you're basically saying, no, we're going to Melbourne to play Hawthorne or we're going to Melbourne to play, is it Collingwood they play the other one, um, the other home game against in Melbourne because basically bigger crowd, more money, et cetera, et cetera. But, oh, by the way, when we have a final, we want them to come down here. Yeah, my point is you play it 
um, where you can get the most fans can see the game live, and it's down the road from Geelong. You're going to make, you know, I, I just don't see why you shouldn't do that. But the other it, thing is that depending on the opponent, of course, the 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 upside of Geelong playing those games at the MCG is that they get more games at the MCG. Yeah. Therefore, they play the ground better. Um, provided I, what I would do if I was the AFL is Geelong fans get first look at the tickets, and. Therefore, you know, if 40,000 Geelong fans buy tickets to the game, then does it really matter that it's at the MCG? If there's 40,000 Geelong fans and 45,000 Collingwood fans and the rest are corporates, does it really matter? I agree. And it's not like Richmond fans who don't like going a kilometre down the road to Docklands. I can assure you, having lived in Geelong, it's no problem doing the one-hour trip down to uh, the MCG in a car or the couple of can trip on the train. And it's what makes us country people harder and tougher and more resilient. Well, I'm not a country person, but I wouldn't disagree with you. We we, we used to drive two hours to get a Fast Eddie burger. Did you? It did. Well, usually it was... That was pretty good, but were they that good? Usually it was after several hours. Two hours for a Fast Eddie burger. It was usually after several hours at the Darkin Hotel (laughs) and we had to find someone sober enough to drive. What was the closest Fast Eddie burger from Darkin? Fast Eddie's. Yeah, I went in Northbridge. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No Maccas between Darkin and um, Fast Eddie's, mate. (sighs) No Hungry Jacks either. I have I have done some late night trips about one a.m. from Geelong to my mates in in uh, the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, which is a two hour trip, and including over the Westgate Bridge. But that's another story. I would stress we always had a sober skipper. Of course, we always had a sober skipper. Um, uh, this one from Paul from Kalgoorlie. Hi guys, loving the pod. In relation to the Duckworths, the family farm is actually located at Doodinan. Dudinan, that's right. A tiny railway siding near Coolan. If you add John and Bill Duckworth, that's not a bad population representation ratio. I was chuffed to hear you mention my uncle Greg Asprey in relation to Wickerpen. His memorial service was held at the Wickerpen Footy Club and Keith Miller spoke about Greg's sporting achievements. Testament to the big fella. We all heard more about his achievements than we ever heard from Greg. One anecdote that needs repeating is that during a game of country week cricket, Greg's bowling figures were 8 for 32 and one retired hurt when the opposition captain declared rather than send in their number 11 to face him. <laughs> P.S. Possible Wickerpens waffle players might be Ken Martin, Gary Taylor and Darren Ballard. That's from Paul from Kalgoorlie. I'll put that to one side. That's in, that's, that's in the chop up. And you know, funnily enough, after we talked about this on Tuesday, I ran into a wiki bloke. His name's Colin Flay. And um, he was asking after my father. He recognised me. And um, Colin Flay was a great country footballer, but he also was a great lawn bowler. And Colin Flay used to play lawn bowls with a guy called Keith Donkin. Do you know the name of Keith I Donkin? I do. Keith Donkin made the All-Australian team at the 1966 a Australian Rules Carnival. So Keith Donkin was an East Perth Rover, um, flat-out gun, Wickerpen player as well, and um, basically bad knees finished him in the end. But... Um, yeah, so that's a that's a um, podcast for another day. Great footballers who've gone on to be great lawn bowlers. Of course, Bradley Hogg uh, is now a great exponent. I think pennant lawn bowler is he really? Mm. Wonder if he gets much spin on it. Yeah, I think he tries to. Yeah, <laughs> crackerjack like Mick Malloy. Um, Richo from Hammy Hill. Morning, gents. I know there's cases to be made for it against the all Australian Australian inclusions, but how did Carlton manage to get three players in? I'll accept Crypton Kerno's selections, but how Saad managed to get a Guernsey is beyond me. Is this the first time a team has had three All-Australians and still not made the eight? Doesn't exactly make Voss look good, does it? Well, 
We spoke about that earlier. Great email. We, we tend to agree with you on that one. Um, Brian from Hammond Park. Hi, Duffin Quarters. Love listening to the pod flying to work. I have concerns about Fremantle trading for Luke Jackson. In 2001, Fremantle traded pick 1, 20 and 36 to Hawthorne, which rewarded them with Luke Hodge, Daniel Earlstone and Sam Mitchell for Trent Crowe and Luke McFarlane. Hodge and Mitchell went on to become key players in four premierships and key performance in the Hawks team that beat Fremantle in 2013. Fremantle got Luke McFarlane, who turned out to be an incredible player and leader. But if they had not been totally smitten with Crowe, they could have drafted Chris Jubb with pick one traded for McFarlane with pick 20 and possibly picked up Sam Mitchell with 36 and set in motion their own dynasty. So um, my understanding is that Fremantle would have drafted either Hodge or Ball had they stayed with pick one. Ball was big in that draft. Yeah. Went pick two. Two, two yeah. yeah. And then he, bad groins got him, So, which may not have happened if he'd have gone to Fremantle because Fremantle's – one of the reasons why Luke McFarlane came home was that Fremantle's – um, physio at the time, and he's going to kill me because his name has completely escaped me, but he was a gun at treating OP, and Luke McFarlane had a dire case of OP when he left um, Hawthorne, and he got him right. Um, I can picture the bloke, and I can't remember his name. Um, I'll work on that, but anyway. Uh, Todd... A.K.A. the Frio, spelled P-H-R-E-O Phantom. Good morning, gentlemen. I'm a Perth Metro local who loves hearing your thoughts and prognostications, in brackets, just want to hear quarters say that, each and every week. In considering all Australian selections, there's been talk about two All-Australian teams. While I don't agree with two teams being announced, I wonder if there is an opportunity for a second team being formed to virtually play against the All-Australian team that is selected. It could be a bit like a budget reply speech in that it would be announced by a separately formed match selection committee within 24 hours of the AA selections being made public. Rather than another AA team, it would be a team designed to match up against the All-Australian team as named. This would ensure that the All-Australian Selection Committee pick a team that is good enough to play and does not allow itself to drift into picking 18 midfielders and a couple of bookends. The AA selectors would need to pick the best players for the position and players who can play as part of a cohesive unit rather than players who simply accumulate stats. The AA selectors would be aware that they are picking a team that need to be able to play against a legitimate opposition and he also wonders, could there be a state-based selection committee who could pick state-of-origin teams for WASA Vic and allies at the end of around 23 each year even if they don't play it would get conversations and banter rattling around among fans i like your idea earlier in the week about the uh 22 under 22 let's see how the 22 under 22 i'll tell you what they'd give them a run this year yeah be a great game they'd win they'd win but the the all australian team would win but i'll tell you what it'd be pretty hot for two and a half quarters if you take um who are the 22 under 22s in the all australian team so andy brayshaw and connor rosie I think you take them out and you put them in the other mob. Uh jeez, they'd have some wheels. Mm. Be quick. Pace isn't everything. Uh, Experience, it's guile. A, it's a lot. This one, very good email. This uh, one. Uh, by the way, that yeah. physio, yes. Jeff Boyle. Oh yes, 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 Jeff yes. Boyle. Uh, this one from Peter Haygents. Hey, Any news on Jason Johansson? Would love the Eagles to make a play as he fits needs with costing any without costing any picks. He is thirty, but can kick the ball with speed. Good role model for new draftees and frees up players for other roles like Duggan. Well, they need speed, so um, it's not the worst idea I've heard. Mm. Um, he's a fair age now. 
we're a fair way on from the 2016 grand final heroics. Um, but, yeah, they do need speed and um, and JJ is quick. High Duff and Quarters, over the last couple of seasons, I've found myself feeling sorry for Michael Christian as the MRO. We all know the whole process is a joke, but he cops all the criticism and is always the scapegoat no matter the outcome. He follows the processes provided to him to come to an outcome only for it to be challenged and then inevitably overturned time and time again. Then if he adjusts to match, he cops it for that too. We all want consistency, but the system and tribunal's willingness to overturn makes consistency impossible. Uh, we have the legally inclined coming in and pulling apart the rules of our game, which are riddled with grey area and are therefore easy to sidestep in a legal forum and coming to conclusions that do not align with the values the MRA and AFL hold. As the AFL is the governor of the sport, surely they should have the ruling power especially given they have the most at stake as the dark cloud ahead with regards to potential litigation around negligence on concussions in the game. Sorry for the long email. Daniel from Parkwood. The problem they have, and it's about litigation, the problem they have is the threat of clubs going to court to get a player off. And we've seen this happen. We saw um, Dunkley, Andrew Dunkley, playing a grand final after donging James Hurd in the preliminary final in Sydney, the famous plugger locket point after the siren preliminary mm. final. Um, he absolutely hit James Hurd in the head in that game, was able to get a Supreme Court injunction to get him to play in the game that made a spurious claim that was unable to uh, prepare a defence for such a big game in time and would be denied natural justice if the tribunal hearing went ahead. They put a stop on the tribunal hearing and then when the tribunal hearing was held months after the grand final... Dunkley just pleaded guilty and copped his two weeks. So this is what the AFL is trying to avoid. I absolutely agree with the correspondent that I hated the way Paddy Cripps got off. So whether you agree with him getting off or not agree with him getting off, the lawyer's jargon that went off to get him off, we have video of this. Mm. Look at the video and look at what you see and you make your decision based on what you see. And really what people say around that it's pretty much secondary to what you see. And the tribunal allowed themselves to be swayed by um, the jargon as opposed to the video evidence. Now, I would argue the video evidence in the Cripps case was inconclusive because he's kind of half yeah. protecting himself, half contesting the ball. And, and the question you have to ask is, in the game, do we want a player jumping in the air to contest the ball like that? And if we don't, then the suspension stands, and if we think it's okay, then he gets off. But to have it turn into a lawyer's feast, to me, was not a good thing. Liam from Kelmscott. Hi, Duff and Quarters. Seeing the season that Nick Dacos has had at Collingwood the potential of Sam Darcy has reignited my hatred for one of the worst rules in the game. The father-son. Father-son and academy draft selections. We will be coming up to the third draft in a row where one of the potential top picks is Will Ashcroft. Will be snatched up by a side that is in finals contention. Well, not one of the potential top picks. He's... Very much in the mix. You won't see clubs like Collingwood or Geelong complaining, but any new club will have to wait decades to get access to kids whose legendary surnames provide them with the best pathways to become elite footballers. Um, it goes on a bit. But look, I uh, about the NGA rules as well, but um, I don't mind. I like the father-son, and I don't mind it now that you have to use value to get them if they're matched. I, I think it works okay. And if you look, Geelong, yes. Collingwood, yes. They've been incredibly lucky. But, Western Bulldogs. And Western Bulldogs as well. But you know what? Well, good luck to them. 
Good yeah. luck to him. It's hard to argue. I like the father-son. No, it's your last bit of romance left in footy, I I, I like the father-son, but I would like a counteractive measure. Well, isn't there already? Like, doesn't Well, NGAs, but as soon as Fremantle gets an NGA that's a bit of a free kick, like Motlop, they strip him of the right to, to match the bid unless it's um, outside the top 40. So Jesse Motlop gets taken by Carlton, plays in their round 23 match, kicks two goals, looks like a very good player. He'd look pretty handy in purple, wouldn't he? He would, yes. Yes. Uh, this one from Leith from Baldivers. Hi, hello, gentlemen. In regards to the Eagles waffle team, is there anything stopping them loading the team for the next two weeks with AFL-listed players? Cause some mayhem, get a bit of winning feeling before the break and just upset the apple cart for not allowing them a competitive team. Well, there are rules around it. You have to have a qualifying number of games. As we understand it, so they can play their full team over the next two weeks. As we understand it, there'll be about 15 West Coast players playing in the Waffle Test. So they'll be hard to Who have qualified no, through no. a certain number of days. No, we're, we're still home and away. Yeah, of course we have to. Yeah, yeah. So that's so, finals. So yeah. they can play. Yeah. And, yeah, we think there's about 15. Um, they won't be putting their big names out and loading up the team for the sake of winning a Waffle game, but they'll be looking at players who might be playing for their careers, and there's a lot of them, and they'll, if they're fit, they'll be playing in the Waffle. G'day, gents. Love the show. Well, it's that time of the season when my adrenaline gets pumping, my heart starts racing and the blood pressure rises, not because we're on the eve of September, but because we're again subjected to the Mickey Mouse process of announcing a squad of this year's very good players, only to announce a subset of those very good players a mere two days later. I note with interest that this year the large number of very good players had increased from 40 to 44, which I only assume will continue to rise each year until one day all 756 listed players are included. And they'll all get an elephant in the initial squad. And each of them get to feel warm and fuzzy for at least 48 hours. Um, as has often been said on your podcast, this is a professional competition with highly paid athletes. There is no need for participation awards. Let's just announce the team and get on with it as, after all, we're all take, talking about our honorary positions. In any case, I've come up with some potential reasons why this squad thing gets wheeled out with some more likely than others. One, drawn-out exposure for the sponsor, Therabody. Two, player contract incentives that may be triggered by inclusion in the squad. Three, we need to be prepared for the Irish hastily arranging an international rules series. Four, the Journo fraternity have lobbied to ensure they can write about not only who was snubbed in the squad selections, but also who was snubbed in the final 22 later in the week. Five, it gives cynical members of the football public like me something to complain about. Um, thanks and go Frio. Joel Thompson, Palmyra. I love that. Anna. Very good. That's that's it. That's in the list. That's Very in the good. chop up. Uh, to my favourite podcasters, further to my mailbag entry from Tuesday, random four points. I am from Exmouth. It's been hot and sunny and I'm really thirsty for some Green Coast lager. Ideally to watch the Dockers smash the doggies. Not unlike your humble beginning stuff, my wife is a full-time shearer of dogs. And after a hard day of dog shearing, cutting, washing and being bitten by pooches, she too would love nothing more than to indulge in a clean, crisp, refreshing stone and wood. P.S. Duff, my wife thinks you're the most handsome of the footy journos. Thanks, Ben. Goodness well, gracious. Oh, geez, that's going to be hard to beat. I'm not, I'm not letting you shear my dog because huh? you're clearly short-sighted. So, um, <laughs> Duff, actually, I know who Duff's clubhouse leader is. It's dangerous. i tell you what, I... I've watched the person who shears our dog come and shear our dog, and they deserve danger money because our dog does not like being shorn. Well, I've got a, uh, I've got a not surprising a chihuahua 
with a little bit of Jack Russell in it. His name's Ruffy, as in little Jared Ruffhead. And he, I'll tell you what, no one can get near his, um, to clip him. He hates getting them clipped. Yep. He's, uh, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, so uh, it, it can be difficult. Hi, gents. Freo have never really had a Mackay Kerno combo or a Hawkins Cameron or even a Kennedy Darling. What they need is someone to partner with Amos as their deadly forward duo. If the rumours are true about Luke Jackson coming to Perth, then I hope Freo proposes that Jacob Van Ruyen is part of the trade too. Pick 18 in last year's draft and couldn't get a game behind Milksham and even Mitch Brown. He looks like an interesting talent. What are your thoughts? Love the pod. Sam from WA, but this probably isn't winning any cartons. That's probably pretty good. That's up there. It's a bit of imaginative list management. I don't mind that. So what happens if uh, Melbourne says, well, we want two times round one, and if Van Ruin's in it, we want one times early round two? Well, actually, interesting, Alex Nunn, the next uh, mail item, suggests exactly the same thing. And he's suggesting, uh, train, he also suggests train with Frio a lot prior to his draft and a promising key position player. Might cost her an extra first, but would be worth it from a Frio point of view. There you go. There you go. Uh, Andrew, hi Duff and Quarters. Wouldn't the first week of the AFL finals be better fixtured by having... First elimination on a Thursday, second on a Friday, first qualifying Saturday night, second qualifying final on Sunday night, twilight. Great email. Couldn't agree with you more. You agree? Uh, the, the only thing I'd say about the fixturing this week is that I think that the qualifying finalists deserve the longer break. So, therefore, the qualifying final should be on Thursday and yeah, Friday. that's fine. And the two... Elimination finals. No problem with that at all. Just need, I like the, the four over the four. Yeah. I love it. Um, you can expand that to the season too, Thursday through to Monday nights. I love it. Uh, Luke Lee from Kalgoorlie. Hi, Daphne Quarters. I was chatting with my brother about the most disappointing team this season, taking into account pre season expectations. We're both Eagles fans, and although bitterly disappointed with their season, didn't expect them to be playing finals and are annoyed at some Eastern Stakes critics declaring them the biggest disappointment of the year. When you consider the raps on Port Adelaide, Carlton and Essendon pre-season, they are all expected to feature, and yet they are all now on holidays. I personally think Carlton get the gong as the biggest letdown, especially with their great start to the season, and I think it was the loss against Adelaide that has ultimately come back to haunt them. I'm interested in your thoughts as to who you think have been the biggest underachievers this year and what they need to be doing to play finals next year. Well, you know who mine is. Straight off them. Oh, it's Essendon. They've been the biggest disappointment for me this year. Essendon's on the podium. I think they're top of it. I'm not going to say West Coast is up there singing the national anthem, if this was an Olympic sport, as the most disappointing team, but they're on the podium. And we and the only reason I say they're not singing the national anthem is because, basically, we don't know how much COVID and, um, and the injuries sort of, like, depleted their performance. But what I would say is they were 2-20, and 20 with a percentage of 59. That's a historically bad season. And I think West Coast needs to stop talking about the reasons why, which is sounding more and more like excuses, and start promising, and I mean promising, and committing to being better next year. Because I tell you what, if you have a 6-16 and 16 season next year backing up from that, then, sorry boys, everyone out the door, last one, turn out the lights. Uh, is their season... Less disappointing than North Melbourne's or more? I mean, North Melbourne's got a younger squad. So, free, um, Where did West, you put North Melbourne? I think two two wins with a percentage of 55 is pretty poor. 
So didn't West Coast have their sights on a finals berth? I think it was a last. Well, they did. So, but it was the last roll of the dice, really, wasn't it? Yeah. So they've had they've they've said we think we can play finals, and they've won two games. Yeah. So they're up there. They're on the podium. I would argue that Essendon probably more disappointing. I think so. But Port, but Port was di- Port a bit unlucky. Things Port, didn't go their way the first six. After round six, Port fought the fight. They did, didn't they? And they kept their season alive. You you can't call Port a disappointing season. I, I reckon Carlton will feel like the season is a failure, but Carlton were playing for a finals berth with 90 seconds left in their season. In both games. Both so, final, the final two games. I think their second half of the year was the most disappointing of all teams, but as a whole, they were 8-2. and two. So I think Essendon gets that nod we, there. We cut West Coast a lot of slack because of what happened early yeah, and what true. happened in summer. But don't forget... That between round 11 and 22, when COVID had pretty much come and gone, and they were basically just dealing with, you know, the the backwash from the disruptions, they won one game. One game. And that game was a home game against Essendon, who you just declared mm. the most disappointing team of the season. So... Yeah. We need to pick a winner now. I'll just remind you earlier in the week we had Chris from Forest Field talking about the um, oh, the double oh, the seventeen five fixtures, which we like that idea. Um, we like that idea, and it's a great idea, and that's a great email, but it's not going to happen. So I think we need to. It's a hypothetical great. Yeah, well, still allowed to have the idea. Um, Paul from Mount Lawley about the handy point debate, which was a good one. Um, Oh, the apology for, which was a good one from Eli. He's from Caulfield but has family and friends here, suggesting that um, it's been a great season and that we've been canning it. Uh, that was a good email. And also one from Jared from Port Kennedy um, uh, was about the steak knives players at Frio. I'm going to suggest that you... One of whom's been re-signed, by the way. Oh, he has too. James Ace. Okay, there you go. Deal. For how long? I think it's two. Well, good for him. He had a good year. Um, so, look, I, I've got to... <laughs> I don't know. Are you leaning towards Ben Miller, uh, whose um, other half thinks you're the most handsome journo in town? That's lovely, but no, I think I need to declare a conflict of interest. Oh, uh, con- conflict of interest, or um, the uh, not Andrew. We go with the Sam. Uh, no, we could go with the. Uh, I think the All Australian was a pretty good email, Joel from Palmyra. Okay. Do you think so? I'm happy with that. Congratulations, Joel. You are the winner of the carton of Green Coast Lager from Stone and Wood Brewery, courtesy of Thirsty Camel. Please send your details to this address. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. All right. First game in the AFLW season. Carlton-Collingwood rematch. Do you think there'll be any aftermath from... No. <laughs> it won't just flow on the drama. The... Well, let's hope so. Yeah, I'd love there to be some um, flow on. Absolutely yeah. love there to be. So uh, that's coming tonight, folks. Coming so tonight. It gets rolling tonight. All right. All the best to you, quarters. Thank you very much for joining us today. We've been brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet. Download Tab Touch today. Please gamble responsibly, and please, if you encounter any difficulties, call the Gambler's Helpline on one 858 858 We'll be back on Tuesday to start to talk about the big first week of finals. 
If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable. 